So, good news everywhere. Um, we'll see how this goes this morning. Um, kind of looking out there to see who's here, who's not here. You know, this, uh, we have been going through, uh, recently a series of battles. Uh, I firmly believe that we as a church, and I think it's the body of Christ, has now entered into the promised land. For me, it was probably either 2016 or 2017. Uh, just to be honest with you, I can actually make a case for either, either of those years. Uh, I think that Susan and I's wedding was a prototype of the, the wedding. And he comes and gets his bride. And then he takes his bride, puts some armor on it, and he goes and destroys his enemies. I could make a case for that. Or 2017 when we went to Lake City and we, uh, as a group, felt like we crossed the Jordan. And now there we are in the promised land. And I've never seen it like this. You know, and I've taught promised land stuff from, from the day I started my ministry back in the mid-80s. God started giving me messages about walking in the wilderness then. And uh, and we've had a lot of prophetic word about that. So uh, the, there's a whole bunch of prophets out there today that have all sort of joined in the chorus that the whole body of Christ has now changed places like a 40-year period has now ended, and now the whole body of Christ has moved into the promised land. And it is the last 40-year period, or a chronos, in the Bible. And in that 40-year period, Jesus will come back for his bride, and he will ex- uh, execute a war against his enemies. I think we're starting to see the beginnings of that. It's crazy out there, for one thing. The world is nuts right now. I mean, some of the things they're doing is absolutely beyond the pale of evil. And so I don't have any problem saying it. There's just no way you cannot say it. So uh, our battles have begun, though, and I've been watching them for about a year, about a year or so. And, uh, and I think we have some returns in. It's like an election. Our first returns are in. And uh, they're interesting. They're not quite what we expected. Anybody ever play football, basketball, baseball, any, any athletic endeavor? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. You ever been in on a team where you do, you're just going to go dust these guys plow. I remember when I was a kid, uh, with Little League in Lubbock, baseball. Baseball is a big deal in Lubbock. I mean, there's like a million kids playing baseball. So when I was on this team that was a city champion. And uh, we, I mean, everybody we played, we just kicked the fire out of them. We'd beat them 24 to 2. And, you know, we'd always be in at least the teens and usually in the 20s in our runs. And we'd keep down in the single digits every time. Just destroyed everybody we played. Uh, we were amazing. And uh, I was not one of the stars, but I was on the team. And so... Uh, <laughs> And so we, you played everybody twice, and we we played this one team, and we beat them. I don't know, twenty-eight to two or something like that. We fixed a bit, playing them again. I said, my dad, man, we're going to kick there, you know. And and he looked at me, and he just said, really, you think so, huh? Uh, you know, uh, long ways to fall from where you are. And uh, we went out and played down. They beat us. Only loss of the year. Learned a great lesson in life. When you go out to play, you better be ready. And if you're proud, you ain't ready. Right? Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of that. The returns have been less than stellar. So I thought it would be a good time right now today is to stop, you know, put it on pause for a minute, look at our experiences, and several of you have had several experiences. And maybe we can even share some of those today if we have enough time here. And so we all can prepare better. Going forward, all right? You guys are all in it. I mean, many of you are dealing with promised land issues in your relationships, like your marriages. Uh, I'm looking this direction. I see several. Uh, several marriage issues that God is hoping to give you what he promised you. Finances. Many of you are starting new businesses and things like that. You're being promoted. Promoted. How does that make you feel? Ah! That's how it makes us feel when we get there. Uh, and in your health. Those are the areas. Are they challenging? 
Okay, so we need to stop for a minute, reload, and maybe walk a little differently. Our march into the promised land is literally uh, like the calling on the church in the last days. The two witnesses of Revelation 11 personify that. And the whole point is to bring God's kingdom into this earth. We should even pray to that end. You do know that. Jesus taught us to pray. His first, the first request in the Lord's prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven, the first request in that prayer, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And it ends that prayer with, for it is your kingdom, your power, your glory. So the whole prayer is bracketed with the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That has been prophesied for thousands of years. You can go back to Daniel and see You can go back further than that and see elements of that call that at the end, God is going to project his people, his church, into darkness. And, the, and we win in the sense that light will overcome it. Now, that's not to say there won't be fatalities along the way. But at the end, the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of his Lord. And that's happening in your marriages, hopefully. Where it's no longer my kingdom or Susan's kingdom. or the, It's our marriage in the kingdom of God. You better get the perspective of what this is really all about. It ain't about you. Are you a kingdom man-woman or are you your man-woman? That's where it's going to go to. So we need to fulfill what we're called to do. And we do need to pray. Look over at Joshua chapter 5. Let's look at some. We're just going to rehash some things real quickly as fast as I can go. Uh, Things you should remember. Things I know you know know already. But let's remember these things because I think we sort of let some of these things slip a little bit. We forgot that he actually meant these things. (laughs) What's wrong with him? Says something that actually means it. Joshua 5. This is the marching orders. Or when they entered the promised land, Joshua was their leader. And the first thing he does is he runs into Jesus. He doesn't call his name Jesus. Here he calls him the commander of the host of the Lord. That is the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. You see him again in the book of James. He is Jesus, the captain of his own army. So they're fixed to go fight. Verse 13, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man, capital M, stood opposite him with his sword drawn. I know, <laughs> woo, I bet he uh, was puckering up. His sword was uh, drawn in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said to him, and this is a great question, who are you for? Me or my adversaries? Kind of paraphrase the King James. And isn't that what goes on in this earth all the, all the, well, whose side are you on? And that's the wrong question. In fact, he got rebuked for it. Verse 14, this, this man, this Jesus said, no, neither. I'm not for you or your adversaries, either one. I've come as commander of the army of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, so what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off your feet, and for the place that you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. So a couple of things that we need to pick up real quickly here. Number one, quit thinking it's about you. You got the, you got the question completely backwards, folks. Again, the, the winner of this, of this lawsuit is the one that gets to frame the issue. Get off that point. It ain't about whose side is Jesus on. It's whose side are you on. Answer that question, and then you might change your circumstances. And the second thing is, is that where we're going is holy. It's special. It's not from this world. It's from God. You can't treat it like it's this worldly deal. It's not like that. And if you drag worldly things into his presence, good luck. Good luck. Okay, there's one thing. Things to remember in case you forgot. I got this little face, where, you know, one of those little emoticons. Oh, I forgot. Deuteronomy 7. A couple of things we forgot. Or maybe we have just now revealed, it's just been revealed to us. Hey, that's actually true. I mean, Deuteronomy 7. 
He's, these are Moses' marching orders for these people as they walk in, as they fix a walk in, and Joshua takes over. Verse 1 says, When the Lord your God brings you into this land which you go to possess, and has cast out many nations before you, Hittites, Gergeshites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Now look at the last line of that, verse 1. Seven nations greater and mightier than you. We forgot to believe that. These first wave of battles, we forgot to believe that they really are greater and mightier than me. Somehow we've forgotten that it's true. But you will figure it out. As the old saying, when they hand you your rear end on a, on a, on a silver platter a couple of times, you will begin to think differently. You ever play football? So you, some of you guys play football. <laughs> Look at this manly man. I never forget <laughs> playing football. We've had this deal called this uh, meat grinder. Y'all remember the meat grinders? Well, what you do is, you know, one guy goes through a long line of guys, and every one of them hits this guy because he did something bad. Team discipline, the meat grinder, and other aspects like that. I remember one time I was supposed to hit this guy. He was about twice as big as me. And I thought, no problem, big target. And away we went, and away we collided, and I hit him. I think he fell before I blacked out. <laughs> it's like hitting a wall. But at that age, you know, guys don't think, well, that might hurt. These enemies are greater and mightier than you. You will figure it out. Believe me. Keep going. When the Lord your God has delivered them over to you. Now, here's my next section on this. Uh, <clears throat> I have not put this. No friendship with the world stuff. Here's our banner. No friendship with the world BS anymore. Okay? No friendship with the world. Here they are. You shall conquer them, utterly destroy them, make no covenant with them, don't show mercy to them, no friendship with the world stuff, nor shall you make marriages with them. Oh, she's cute. Nor shall you give your daughter to their son and take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Thus shall you deal with them. Don't be nicer than God. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their images, burn their carved images with fire. Joshua, weren't you sort of saying this stuff during one of those songs we were singing? I think you were saying these things. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number. Now, here we go with some comparison issues. You're not bigger. You're not mightier. You don't have more on your side. All right? We're, the church doesn't have to get bigger so we can win. Ain't about numbers. It's on whose side are you on? You didn't get chosen because you were more than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. Eat that one. But because you, the Lord loves you, and because he would keep his oath, which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the house of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. Look at verse 10, please. You should look at this going forward and really think about what this means to you. God repays those who hate him to their face. Do you believe that? Oh, God would never do that. Really? What do you think he means by this? He repays them to his face. You think God hadn't noticed that they hate him? Al Houghton has a great teaching called God haters, God mockers, and hypocrites. They should be watching out in these days. God mockers are those who don't believe that scripture says that what a man sows, he will also reap. Right before that it says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. So if you think you can just do things 
because you want to that violate his word, get ready. You're a God mocker. You're fixed to find out how true that is. So he's going to go at those who refuse his love. He thinks they hate him. Because they do. Deuteronomy 9. One more point. That we forgot. Verse 1. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the, the Jordan today and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself. We made that point. Cities great and fortified up to heaven. A people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? They chickened out the first time 40 years ago. Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. Now, this next verse is something you should think about. Do not think in your heart, after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. No, it's because of the wickedness of those nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. The point is, your righteousness is not what wins. Their wickedness is what loses. Now, does that have any effect on any of us? Okay, we got the t-shirt over here in the brewer camp. We went and had a little trial a year ago for custody of kids. For the mother. You would think that would be, you know, good, right? Godly? The right thing? In place of a, how can I say this nicely? It rhymes with itch. <laughs> Jezebel? How about that? I can prove it. I can prove it. Dope smoking. Evil. So, and we got a, a, a ministry on our side. Not, not the church, another one. A good ministry that's well known in the area. You know, that's got favor with the court systems, and they have, bring a lot of people, you know, from prison and stuff, and they bring them to this place, and they get them all cleaned up. Everybody knows about these guys. We are more righteous than them. We're going to wipe the floor with them. <laughs> that's what happened. And it ain't over. We took another run at them. The best I could say of that one was it was a draw. Zero to zero. And there's another battle in front of them. And you know what we're saying today? If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. Let his kingdom come. It ain't about me being right. I've already proven that. I think there's some more about there like that. And there will be a lot more coming. Just remember that. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, you need to go here. First Corinthians chapter 1. You have got to get this in your spirit as you deal with these issues that are before us. First Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 30. It says, of God, you, all of you, are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and holiness, sanctification. The ground you're standing on is holy and redemption. How do I get righteousness in this game? In him. If I fight the fights that are in front of me based on Who's best here? Who's got less sin or who's got better righteousness? You're spinning. You're not going to win nothing. But if you really get it in your heart that in Christ, he is my righteousness. Nobody can trump that, folks. When you try to fight with lawyers and, you know, a better argument, look, the best, the best lawyer on the planet Earth is the devil. 
He is the accuser of the brethren. The only way we overcome him is by the best lawyer in the universe. By the blood of the Lamb. And our testimony, which is simply this, I was all this bad stuff, but God came and he saved me from me. He saved me from me. So don't go in there, you know, rattling your chain. I'm bad. I'm in the gang. You're fixing to get killed. He is my righteousness. I can rest in that. You know? Jesus, they, they accused me, you know, and I know what they said was true. He said, don't worry about it. My blood's covered it. It's gone. Before God, it's gone. Now, join my army. Let's back up, because in here, there's a bunch of comparisons that we need to know and remember. Verse 25, it says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than man. So what we can say is anything that God brings to the table is better than anything man brings. Much better. So he starts showing these comparisons, which the, we as people long to be the exact opposite of what God said it would be like. We want to be the things he says we shouldn't be. Look at verse 26. You see your calling, brethren. So this is all about my calling. And our calling in this chronos, this 40-year period, is to take the land that God has promised, bring it into the kingdom for his glory. That's my calling. And fight his enemies. In this calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh. Let me rephrase that. According to the flesh. In other words, a fleshly version of these next three things don't qualify you. The fleshly Wisdom, the fleshly mighty, the fleshly noble. Not many of them are called. You know what noble means? I like noble. It's a Greek word. Mike probably has already got it up. E-U, and the, the word is genes, G-E-N-E-S. You know, always, it's all genetic. It's either genes. You were born right. It's not according to what you were born like. How many of you think that you're good because you were born in the right family? Your genetics are right. Or you're born in Texas. Well, no, you may have a point there. <laughs> Luck of the draw. Not many of those are called. The things I would like to be was wise, mighty, and noble. No. But God has chosen, verse 27, the foolish things of the earth to put to shame the wise. So I have what I want to be. He says, here's how I'm going to trump that thing in my kingdom. I want to bring the foolish. I love the Greek word there. It's moros. In other words, we get the word moron. <laughs> hey, the church of the morons. Y'all join. Everybody's just lining up outside. Right? They want to be there. So... Morons for the wise. And he has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Oh, I, you know, and in prison, what do you guys do? You, you pump up iron, you know, get all buffed up. That don't matter at all in the kingdom. He takes some little empty guy to put you down. Isn't that crazy? And the verse 28, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. Okay, so he's putting these down. He's taking the noble down with these base things. You know, we said the noble were the, the, the good genes. Well, the words that are, the word for, for the base things are the things with the bad genes. Same Greek word with a different syllable in front of it. Not good genes. Are any of you of those? Texas Tech. <laughs> Woohoo! No, the base things of the world, the things which are despised, like Jesus was despised. The, the, the builders of the temple despised the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ himself. He was despised. He chooses those and the things which are not to bring to the things which are, that no flesh would glory in his sight or in his presence. Of him you are in Christ Jesus. And he has made us wisdom, righteousness, all this stuff. 
Okay, so it's completely backwards. Always, always, folks, it's completely backwards of what you think. Understand that. And here's how God trains us to think that there's another way. He gives us a mate, a spouse. There's no man on the earth that understands the way a woman thinks. And that will never, ever be, be solved. And there is no woman on earth that gets a man. You can't do it. This is training you to understand there is another way. For both of you. It's God's way. Amen? It's the better way. Okay, uh, another one. Look over at Ephesians 6. So things of the flesh, no wine or panada, whatever that means. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, and put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But, and he lists about four things that are spiritual entities. Principalities, powers, those are all Greek words for different levels of hierarchy of power in the evil realm. I am not wrestling with Josh. I'm wrestling with the demons that like Josh. Now, where's, where's the other guy? Patrick. Who are you wrestling with? See, we went over this with them. We're getting into these situations like the one I mentioned a while ago. Who am I wrestling with? I thought there was a lady called Itch. No. You can scratch an itch. I'm wrestling with the demons that is using her to get Satan's way. And the minute I understand that, when I get into these battles, I take the nameplate off that person. I'm not fighting Susan. I'm not fighting fill in your blank. I'm fighting in the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. That person is not the point. It's the will of God and the kingdom of God that is the point. Do you all understand that? So unless you really get that, you're going to miss it. You'll, You'll keep fighting that person. Good luck. You will not win. Even if you do win, you won't like what you get. You ever fought with your, your spouse and won? <laughs> well, there's an honest man among us. Even if you did win, how good is it, really? Really, how good is it? It stinketh. King James all the way. All the way. So we're fighting a spiritual fight. And so he says, put on the armor of God. It's a spiritual armor. Let's look at them real quick, 14. Uh, here's your armor. Uh, gird your waist with truth. There's one. Breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is two. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Peace is three. The shield of faith. Four. Faith. With you, you'll quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. He is shooting at you. 17. Salvation. The helmet up. Five. Sword of the Spirit. Six. Which is the Word of God. You better know your Bible. And then the last thing, 18, is the thing we miss the most, and pray. Yeah. You want to do, if you want to do something, get there. Yeah. Pray. Isn't that what Jesus said? Here's how you pray. And we know, we did that a while ago. Your kingdom come. You get into the right step with God and watch things begin to happen. Okay, so it's not, it's not flesh. We can't fight that way. Look over in, uh, one more. Second uh, Corinthians, chapter ten. Verse three. Although we walk in the flesh, flesh and blood. We do not war according to the flesh. That's been our point all morning. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, carnal. So it's not how many words you can fire out of your mouth. It's not how much you put on Facebook or blah, blah, blah. 
None of that matters. Those are carnal. But they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down the arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What is the whole point of warfare, folks? It said it right there. You're bringing everything to what? The obedience of Christ. To obey Christ. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So every knee bows before him. So our whole warfare isn't about me versus you. It's who gets to get on their knees first and say, Lord. You get it? That's the whole warfare. And if they refuse... But you say yes to the obedience part of you. Look at the next verse, verse 6. And he's ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. How about them apples? So I think it's a race to the floor. Who can bow? All these things tell me, they remind me of something that we forgot. God resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. Amen. And you know, I can't tell you how many of these old deals we've been in here lately where we waltz in there, uh, honestly, full of pride. And we limped out, hopefully, full of humility. Amen? Can we be honest? We are not undefeated. The best we can say is we're still in the fight. No amens. Well, I'll give you one more. And then we're going to get some testimonies. The last year of the previous 40-year chronos, 2016, somewhere in there, I was being teed up by God for my promised land. Being teed up. And I was, like most young men, ready to get her done, like right now. But God wasn't ready for me there yet. And am I blowing y'all away? Is this too much? He was preparing me for my promised land and preparing me to lead you into yours. That's what this was all about. And he said to me, and as I was, you know, fighting to get it done, let's do this. He said to me, I was driving home from Odessa, grinding my teeth. And he said to me as clear as a bell, he said, son, you have to have patience in order for me to use you in this coming season. And the great theologian that I am, knowing that there's two King James words for patience, and the lawyer that I wanted to be, I said, which one? I thought I could narrow it down, you know. And he said, both. Uh, well, I mean, what's hard to... Let's talk about patience real quick, because you have got to have this. You will not win otherwise. I'm serious. How many of you have issues with patience? Let's just be honest with yourself. No, Okay, no issues for some of you. You'll find out. Coming your way soon. In a theater next to you. Patience. Well, there's two words. Let's just look at them. And they actually kind of go. I hate to say this because it's a little bit too cute. But it's almost like they go in order. You do one to get the other. Sort of that way. The first word for patience is this word called macrothumia. Macrothumia. And it means self-restraint so that you don't retaliate a wrong done against you. In other words, you don't take your wrath and revenge. Yuck. So when someone does bad something to you, this is a someone thing. People, relationships. When someone does something wrong to you, what do you do? You plot. You wait for the moment where you can get them. Or you go, you know, you go viral, whatever that means. Uh, is, is it viral? All over the place? Whatever. You want your wrath. The only thing God says, don't take your wrath. 
He says, get a place to wrap. Right? Yuck. Well, okay. But you know what? I'm having a real hard time with my flesh on this issue. As a matter of fact, I have a hard time with everything that looks like that. How do you feel when someone slaps you on one cheek? Do you feel like turning to the other? Don't you feel like slugging them? You ever walk through the Sermon on the Mount? When he says, when someone compels you, makes you walk a mile with them, you volunteer to go another mile with them? Folks, that is not in me to do. And if any of you think it's in you, really? Here's the good news. Macrothumia is a fruit of the Spirit. That's the best news I can give you. It's from God. It is the Holy Spirit living in you. Christ in you. Living it in you. Yes, you have the conflict. You want to deck them. But Holy Spirit is in you, holding you back, restraining you. Saying, just just don't do it. Just don't do it. Focus on me instead. And you don't do it. Isn't that a great... Rendering, that's patience, number one. In Hebrews 6, here's why it's important. Well, it's important for a lot of reasons, but here's one of the reasons why it's important. Hebrews 6, verse 12, do not become sluggish, lazy. Imitate those who through faith and macrothumia inherit the promises. So here's where it goes. If you get this in your heart and let the Holy Spirit live in you, he is setting you up. He is moving you into a position of inheritance. You're now in the, in the walk with God. He wants to give you your promised land. Amen? You with me? You're now in line with that. You can take your promised land. You're not yet there, though, because you still have this other word for patience. And this other word for patience is this word, uh, hupomone. It's a combination of two words, which would mean, means this. Remain under. Uh-oh. Does it sound real good? Remain where God has placed you underneath the circumstances in which you are in. Don't run. When you want to. Are y'all with me? I don't like my boss. Big deal. I placed him over you. Remain there. It doesn't, this word for patience doesn't succumb to suffering. And it opposes cowardice. Chicken and out. And it opposes despondency. Discouragement. This sounds just like the marching orders for Joshua when he was told to lead these people in. Be of good courage. Do not be discouraged. Do not be disappointed. Be of good. He said three times. Be of good courage. Perseverance. Hupo Monet is working in you. And you won't give up because I'm in you. So once you get there, Hebrews 10 kind of kicks in. Look at this. The first one, I get myself in line to inherit the promise. Hebrews 10, verse 36. He says, you have need of endurance, or this other word for patience in the King James. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Hallelujah. So I get myself from one place. I'm in line for my inheritance, the promise of God for my life. And if I hang in there and just keep hanging in there until he says there's enough, then I'm in the place to receive it. Y'all like that? Pretty salty stuff, huh? Okay, I want to stop there. But you see this, this kind of pattern in the book of James. You know, about when Jesus comes back, he's going to look for patience. Both of them. Both of them. 
He's going to look for you to be waiting for him because he's waiting for you to be developed. And then he's going to come in and he's going to make it move. Okay? Now, what I want to do here is I want to actually open it up a little bit. And if you have something that you would like to add that you think would help the people, because you have, (laughs) there's one over there. It's Joyce Meyer. Come on up. One of your experiences that, that shows, hey, I learned this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll hold it for you. Bueno. Bueno? Yeah, I need my hands. Um, oh, yes, yeah. Well, let me use your gadget. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Everything that Pastor Larry just talked about, I've done it. I've been doing it. Um, when Miley was sent to prison, I told him, you know, I'm not going to do, not going to do your time with you. But, you know, reality is, yes, yeah. I was going to do the time also. And that's why I've been very angry with him for a long time. Um, okay. Before Miley was sent to prison, things were insane. You know, his drinking was so out of control and uh, all I felt that, you know, my part was just to uh, stay, be there. And... Who put my name? What about that? Oh, no, just kidding. Underneath. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stay um, there. You know, um, but. That's Spanish. <laughs> but here is the thing. You know, and, yeah, I, you know, it, yeah, that's a good thing, right? Because, yeah, stand by your man, right? <laughs> However, it was a good thing, but it was not the right thing. Because I was not doing it in the right spirit. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It's just like Pastor Larry said. It was not God's kingdom. That was Nora's kingdom. Because I'm going to tell you what. Even though I chose to stay, you know what? We -hmm. were miserable. Mm -hmm. Um, We constantly fought. There was so much anger. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know what? Let me, on my part. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of bitterness resentment, frustration, and uh, Mm -hmm. so um, when Miley was sent away, um, you know, it was like, okay, well, I'm going to stay. But again, it wasn't, I wasn't doing it right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what, church? I'm I'm just gonna be so I'm gonna be transparent. I've been fighting with Miley since he's been gone over, over. The way it was. Yep. Okay. I couldn't let go of it. I couldn't. I couldn't let go of all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you know how um you know a lot of people were having those crazy dreams. Yeah. Okay. Since Miley left, I was having dreams. Hers were like the princess of, I'm telling you. Yes. Let me tell you, every dream was bad. It was always the same issue, different scenario, but always the same issue. And then I had the dream, or let's call it the nightmare of nightmares. I remember I woke up like at 3 in the morning, and I sat in my bed, and I cried. Because that's how bad that dream was. And then Sunday, I, I told Larry about it. And I told Pastor Larry, I said, you know what? I really feel that that dream is what's in my heart. Mm-hmm. All right. So, from, okay, we prayed and then started to do things differently. As things from the past came to my mind, Instead of allowing them to get me all riled up and get even angrier at Miley, I knew that those things were coming to my mind because those were things I needed to forgive. 
And uh, you know what? And, and God Whoa. was Miley. Uh, God was doing the same thing with Miley. With, but with Miley, it, it was like he was bringing things to Miley's mind that um, he needed to repent of. And um, so then. Um, something happened. Um, over the years, many times, my love has grown cold for my spouse. But I learned very early on that all I had to do was ask God to rekindle that in me. And God was quick and faithful each time. Mm-hmm. All right, over this past, over this time that my has been gone, I saw it, I felt it, and my love was growing cold. And you know what, church? This time I didn't ask, I didn't ask God. Because you know what? I really didn't know whether I wanted it anymore. Whoa. I didn't know whether I wanted the marriage. I didn't know whether mm. I wanted to. You know, and, and I'm trying to figure this out. Okay, you know, I'll just wait and, you know, till Miley gets out and, you know, I'll deal with it then. But let me tell you what. When Miley, um, I don't know if I said that, but when Miley went to prison, I thought it was all about Miley. That's, you know, not me, Miley. Miley's the one with the issue. Miley's the one who needs to be fixed. Well, you know what? You can't live with somebody who has an addiction and not get broken in the process also. Okay? So we were both two very broken people. Mm -hmm. Okay? And then God started, um, you know, he let me go and let me go and let me go. And then one day God showed up and it was time to have a father-daughter talk. And it was one of those talks that I had been avoiding. And then the first thing that we talked about was, um, you know, that uh, thinking of mine that I have to do this. I have to stay because that's what a good Christian wife does. You stay. Well, you know what, church? God did not ask me to do that. He didn't tell me to do that. You know what? He didn't didn't tell me anything. You know why? Because I didn't ask him. I was just going to do Nora's thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And, um, Now, I know that, you know what, in that situation that Miley, Miley and I were in, you know what, I should have asked God, what do I do? Amen. What do I pray? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. which way? What, what? No, no, I didn't do any of that. I just was going to, you know, be the good little Christian wife, stay in there, be angry, be fight, you know. Make Miley miserable, you know. <laughs> the good Christian yeah. marriage. Yeah. yeah. So okay. So now it's like, okay, I've learned that. Um, wow. Just like Pastor Larry said, yeah, it has to be God's kingdom. And it's not about Nora. It's about God's kingdom being established. And not, not only me, in, but in Miley and both of us. Okay. The other thing was, you know, that... Allowing my love, and yes, I allowed it. I allowed my love to grow cold. Mm. Um, we talked about that too. And, um, you know, God has been doing a, a, an amazing work in both Miley and myself. And uh, I knew that, you know, God is, is creating like this masterpiece in, uh, mm. let's say, Miley, all right? And uh, he's been doing all this work in Miley. Um, he wasn't going to send Miley back to me. He wasn't going to send Miley back to a wife that her heart has grown cold, a wife that's still angry about stuff back in Chapter 15, <laughs> you know? 
Miley is as precious to God as, you know, I am. Mm-hmm. Miley matters to God. Mm-hmm. And God has done a lot of, um, uh, you know, restoring and Miley and, and deliverance and redemption. So, um, and then there was another. But that that's just between me and God. There was, you know, okay. So then, you know. I saw the picture clearly, and I hope that I haven't confused y'all, okay? All right. So then, basically, the Lord said, all right, all right, mija, boss in your court. In other words, okay, Nora, you know, here it is, plain, plain sight, the choice is yours. And you know what? I was standing in the middle of the den, and uh, started, you know, just thinking about everything. And then after the last thing he said to me, I went like, Lord, I'm going to stay. And uh, I remember I took a step forward. And if you have never experienced a shift in the spirit, it's amazing because you really do feel like you just stepped out of yourself. It was like I stepped forward and Nora was behind me, but I was right here. That was amazing. <laughs> and then I also said, and Lord, you know what? I'm going to love Miley. Amen. I'm going to love Miley. I know God can, you know, and he already has. He already has, church, um, started that bonfire of Uh-oh. love for Miley and my heart. Yeah, I'm not going to settle for sparks. I'm going for the big thing. Oh, bonfire. <laughs> Give me a bonfire of love, Lord. Amen. And, uh, Amen. Okay. Now, here's something else. In a phone conversation that Miley and I had towards the end of our conversation, you know, at this point, I've already decided I'm staying, but I'm going to do it God's way. And, uh, yes, I'm, I'm going to love my husband. I choose to love him. And I'm going to, you know, um, I'm willingly going to do that. I'm going to surrender that and allow God to do all that in me. So in, my, in a conversation that Miley had towards the end of a conversation, I said, Miley, okay, before I said what I said to him, this courage arose up in me. And I said to Miley, Miley, when you come home, you have no more chances. No more chances. And um, that's not a bad thing, church. No. Because he, Miley needed to know. Uh, you know what? Basically, is I needed to draw that boundary. Yeah, I did. Because you know what? I didn't, as far as the stuff between me and Miley, I had no boundaries. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, he said, well, good. Uh, he said, well, okay, at least now I know where I stand. I really didn't know what he meant by that. So, you know, I let it go for a few more phone calls. Then uh, <laughs> uh, the, then we had another phone call, and I said, uh, Miley, I said, um, let's talk about what we talked about the other day. <laughs> Why do you, how do you feel about what I said that when you come home there will be no more chances and um, he said to me no that's, that's okay he goes because he said nor he goes I'm tired I am so tired he goes and I don't want to go back to those old things and, you know, and I said, you know, Miley, one of my concerns is that, you know, temptation will be all around you. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I said, and, you know, and all it takes is compromi- compromising that first step. And, and uh, Miley told me, you know what? I'd rather have my family than that beer. And I felt that. For the first time in like forever, Miley and I, we were on the same page. 
we both were understanding what needed to be changed, mm-hmm. the, how much we needed to um, just totally do everything um, with God being the center of it. And then um, mm-hmm. the other thing was, all right, Miley, you know what? We're going to... Um, we're going to uh, pray about you coming home, okay? And, and our prayer was, Lord, if it's your will, and it's only your will, bring Miley home. And uh, I asked Miley, I said, are you okay with that? He said, yes. He goes, because um, it has to be what Jesus wants. So here we are on the same page, the same paragraph. The same sentence and the same word. Praise and the Lord. yes, I am very excited. And you know what? Let me tell you. You know, these years that he's been gone, because I've been angry, I wouldn't tell him many, many times. I probably told him, I love you, maybe in three years, maybe ten times. I don't know. But because I was angry, I wouldn't tell him I loved him. See, I was punishing him. And uh, I would not call him anything sweet. You know, we've always called each other babe since we started dating. No, he was Miley. <laughs> and he got me stirred up. He was Ismael. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> Three syllables. No, let me tell you. Yeah, well, then, um, so after we had that conversation, he called. And I said, hi, mi amor. How are you? That sounds kind of Frenchy to me. French. Me and Laura. My love. Oh, you see. You know what? And you know what? I'm so excited about that when I said me amor, I meant it. It was from my heart. Because, <laughs> you know, I was telling, I was telling my girls, you know, Miley, Miley likes those cards that are all mushy and. Really? You know, yeah, like. Well, I need to remind you that it means breakfast. What do y'all think? Yeah, okay. Anyway. So I would find a card, but you know what? It wasn't because, yeah, it wasn't because I wanted. I was just like, well, this will make him happy, right? Okay. I went to look for a a Valentine's card, and I read one, and I'm like, no, I don't say that. So I kept looking until I found a card that, yeah, that is what I would say. Okay. That's what I have to say, all right? Now I'm going to tell you another thing. Next Sunday, the 10th, Miley and I will have been married 42 years. Oh, no. Amen. Amen. Okay. Congratulations. That was good. I think we're going to end it there. Uh, I think the, let's make a quick point here. I said relationships, finances, and health. Those are promised land issues for you personally. Jesus has his plan as well for the world. But he wants us to be in his army, a whole people, in those three areas. Okay? So this is a relationship issue, obviously. But there's more than one about there. You're fighting the fight about your marriage. And it needs to, I mean, you just want to listen to what she just said again. It is on tape. And think about it. It's got to be about Jesus. It's about his kingdom. Once you click into that, it's amazing how he'll make everything work for you. Or if they don't. Now, here's a, here's a tough doctrine. If the spouse won't, God will deal with him. And that may mean exit stage left. You say, oh, that's not the Bible. Really? Go read Matthew 2. I've come not to bring peace, Jesus said this, but a sword. Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? I mean, he's going to divide family. And to those that will do the will of God versus those who won't. And those who won't, get this, will not be in the kingdom of God. You've got to deal with that. God will deal with those who hate him to their face. So will you let that happen? I'm not advocating splitting with people. You're going to find yourself in trouble. I'm advocating patience. Both words. And let God light it up and you be okay with his choices concerning who is walking with you. 
Does that make sense to everybody? And we got a bunch more of them out there on, on the on the finances and on the health. We are in it. And we need to learn our spiritual lessons and fight the right fight. Amen? Y'all excited? If only the Cowboys were in the Super Bowl, it would be a good day. No saints, no Cowboys. It's, let's eat. How about that? Goodbye.